Hey, Hunter, where'd you get that iPhone case? Uh, my wife, and I think she may have bought, bought it on Amazon. Oh, really? really? How'd, uh, how'd she get to Amazon? Well, it was before we were doing the podcast, uh-huh. and so she oh, just boy. went to regular Amazon. Oh, my God. And didn't, Jesus. What oh, an asshole. Party foul. I, what? No, it didn't exist yet. Federalaudio.com existed then, though. Hunter, you, Hunter, you don't you, know. This phone is six years old. Hunter, will you please address your wife? You don't have to give her name, but please address her uh, directly and teach her how to shop on Amazon. She knows now. This was a long time ago. What does she do now? She goes to uh, federalaudio.com and she clicks through the the Amazon portal that's there. But before she even does that, she goes to the Yacht Rock section of FairAudio.com oh. and clicks there, just in case that gives us any extra money. It doesn't, but why not check out our site yeah. on Feral? Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a lot of show you know, notes. You know there what to my look wife's at. been doing is getting everyone in her office to buy everything for the office <gasps> through the Feral That's Audio. A great oh, idea. That's a great office idea. Office managers, yeah. do that. A, oh my God! If you're an office manager, email us and tell us you're doing this because that'll make us happy. So if you watch the new Bill Nye show that's coming on Netflix, the entire set was all purchased through the Feral Audio oh, portal. Oh my God! Wow. What a great idea. We need to think of ways to reward people for doing such great deeds. I gave like her that. I gave her a back rub. All right. Oh, great. Yes. Perfect. So everybody who does that, you get a back rub from Dave. From me. Well, hold on. I like the song. It's lovely. MC Hammer. <laughs> like speech from Arrested Development. Dwayne Wayne, PM Don Fat Guy, and Urkel, MC Hammer was part of the dis- bespeckled, non-threatening black explosion that enraptured American imaginations in the early 90s. Bespectacled? Bes- means wearing glasses, Bespeckled. You nerd. Bespectacled. Bespeckled? Bespeckled means they've got, like, dots all over bespectacled. them. Bespectacled. Freckled. <laughs> Freckled. I think, I think bespeckled's a no, word. No, it's bespectacled. I don't know about If you mean glasses, that. it's bespectacled. I don't know about that. It's not accurate, Jackie. And seriously, what's not to like about Hammer? He sampled classic songs we know and loved. He sang songs about good times and positivity. He liked the Oakland A's, a very popular ball team at the time. And in this song, helped the children off his smash hit album, Please Hammer, Don't Hurt Him. He samples the Marvin Gaye classic song and sings about helping children. Please, everyone, don't hurt him, he pleads. Um, in this case, being children, especially <laughs> little girls, about whom he makes an impassioned plea, begging the creeps of the world not to quote, or to quote, protect and not molest them. This would have a whole different vibe if Michael Jackson was singing to help the children. Uh, but then culture shifted. Americans began to prefer a more threatening black man. Yeah. Gangster rappers, as terrified local news anchors called them. Hammer could hang it up, but he was too legit to quit. So he charmed the snake. Oh, God. 
Like Clark Kent to Superman, MC Hammer crushed his glasses, transforming into Hammer, a gangster from the mean streets of Oaktown with a voracious sexual appetite for women with shapely posteriors and high-heeled shoes. No longer interested in protecting girls from molestation, Hammer was perfectly willing to objectify young women. A grown young women. The snake Hammer had tried to charm had bit him bad, and the girls he once tried to protect and nurture, he now saw as sexual objects, expected to sport fetish shoes and meet sometimes unrealistic body standards. And Hammer... He started to take snake charming a little too literally, because if you watch this video, one might say he may have fluffed the snake. Hammer pants meat? Uh, there's, he's not in hammer pants anymore. He, oh. he is oh. in a banana hammock. Well, like I said, unrealistic body standard for everyone. It is. Dude was swinging his pipe. Oh, he was swinging a hammer. Oh my god, it still terrifies me right now. But this is a tale we see again and again in the world of music. Once successful and well-regarded stars forced to chase the twisting whims of a people holding their continued relevance hostage in their petty wallets. Let me tell you some of those tales today. Uh, this is Snake Charmers. Oh God, rock. Perfectly timed pause there. You gotta pump the boat! <laughs> song was a little repetitive, wasn't it? I, oh, what? An MC Hammer song is repetitive? Yeah. I'm pretty sure you couldn't watch the lewd version of that video on MTV. I think you had to watch it on BET. Cool. Yeah, a lot of I, I remember winning a, a, a cassette copy of Please Hammer Don't Hurt Him in a radio call-in contest, <laughs> and boy was I excited. Did you ever pick it up? Yes! Oh, they sent dude. it to me in the mail. It's a great wow. album. It's fantastic. Really fun. Uh, so this is the Beyond Yacht Rock podcast. We create our own genres of music, and we count down the best songs in that genre. My name is J.D. Riznar. My name is Hollywood Steve Huey. My name's David Lyons. I'm Hunter. Hunter who? Stare. And today, I'm in the captain's chair. I'm going to tell you about Snake Charmers, but because we invented the term Yacht Rock through our web show, Yacht Rock, viewable on YouTube and channel101.com and yachtrock.com, we like to throw a bone to Yacht Rock every week. Uh, Steve, what is this song we're listening to right now? Oh my gosh. It's Jimmy Hall with the song, I'm Happy That Love Has Found You. He's going to sing it right now. It's very yachty. Goodness like, gracious is that yachty. I'm happy Steve picked this because I think he's backdooring Southern... I'm happy that Steve has picked this. <laughs> I think he's backdooring Southern Yacht Rock, which, like I said before... Did an angel just fly in here? What was that? That was me accidentally singing on key. Ooh. Uh, it doesn't happen very often. Enjoy it while you got I, I, it. I don't hear the southernness. Is it just because this guy's from the south? No, it's because he's a total southern rocker. But this doesn't yes. sound southern. Well, no, that, but he, but he was of, okay, of okay, southern okay. yacht. He, okay, he we'll was in a southern yeah. rock band. The southern rock band is called Wet Willie. They're from Alabama. They Wet had a top Willie. ten hit called Keep On Smiling from 1974. Uh, but this is Jimmy Hall solo. Uh, this was his only... I think it was his only hit from 1980. It peaked at number 27. Uh, it's off... I just, yeah, it's off an album called Touch You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah. It's a solo debut album. And, and I looked Touch at the you. I looked at the track listings. The first song title is a simple phone number. Uh, is six three four 
5789. Yeah, the old Wilson Pickett song. And the next track is called Private Number. <laughs> so I feel bad for anybody with that <laughs> yeah. phone number because it was no longer private. <laughs> had a lot of. Private Number was also, it was another classic soul cover. It was by a, a duet by Judy Clay and William Bell. Oh. And uh, Jimmy did it as a duet with Bonnie Bramlett of uh, Delaney and Bonnie, mm. and also Derek and the Dominoes. And these are some things all you would say would be Southern Soulish based, right? Yeah, like you think Muscle Shoals. Yes, yeah. Muscle Shoals. So in my research with Southern Southern Yacht, I believe this has a huge part of it. And even Michael McDonald is kind of around there because he was from Missouri. And, and he ended up going to California, but he had some of the same yeah. influences. Anyways... There aren't a ton of quint- there aren't any quintessential yacht rockers on there, but if you looked at Southern Yacht, there's uh, Troy Seals of the Seals family, Dave Loggins, and yeah. Steve yep. Cropper, who is a name I will justify at a later date. Um, Steve, what about this? Strikes you as a yacht? Well, I think like you hear. Listen to that chord change. Listen, to the, you can like you can hear them trying to replicate the formula. Like you can easily imagine Michael McDonald singing the backup vocals on this chorus. Easily, you can hear that would-be Steve Lukather guitar solo during this outro right now. Which I it doesn't think is quite proper. It doesn't quite measure up, but you know it's a tall order to to measure up to Steve Lukather, and Steve Cropper is no slouch. You know, restart this. Um, that intro is pretty damn young. Yeah. yeah, it's very. It's not quite jazzy, but this is definitely on the sophisticated side of soul, and it's not like a quiet storm soul. They have that bounce, they have that uh, that sophistication, but it's like that bright, happy kind of doobie bounce. And that it, just it isn't being replicated by anyone who knows the doobies personally, in all likelihood. And I think it's not really because it came from the sun-kissed coast of SoCal, uh, but the songwriters. Are wrote stuff for female R&B and soul singers like the Pointer Sisters. Uh, yeah, they also wrote for Shaka Khan, mm-hmm. uh, Jermaine Jackson. So I think that's why this particular song has more of a yacht rocky feel because there's a huge injection of soul. So, like I've said before, like the producer of a song is the one with the vision. So the producer of this album was able to replicate the yacht rock song sound without any yacht rock people, and that producer's name I know where he's going was Nor- Norbert Putnam. And Norbert, Norbert, Dave, you're going to love this. Norbert happens to be Jimmy Buffett's producer. He produced oh, everything boy. by Jimmy Buffett. So, uh, welcome to the boat, Norbert <laughs> Putman. Tell your friend Jimmy to come on board every now and again. All right, all right, all right hit pause. Stop the music. Stop mm-hmm. the music. Okay. Stop the music. You are getting closer and closer to calling Jimmy Buffett Yacht Rock, and you need to be careful. Listen. I, that guy promotes the the lifestyle of the homeless. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> you are getting real close to being just as out of touch as a serious XM music director. Ooh. You, oh, oh. They'll definitely Listen, not ask I, us to do anything again for that channel. Um, I'm, I'm going to say that I may have gone a little down the hole as I've talked over a lot of this with Steve's song. Sorry, Steve. But I did. But that's what we do. We, just, we talk over the song. I know, but, I, the format but I've the really podcast. gone into. That's s- how we don't get sued. Yeah, I I, I really did a lot of uh, yacht soul or yacht yacht, yacht southern soul, yacht soul search yacht southern, soul searching southern yacht research, and I did I did do extensive research on Jimmy Buffett, and he has some connections to what I believe might be southern yacht. But I've listened I listened to everything that I thought might be considered, and you not, can restart the music. Nothing. No, we gotta move on. Nothing. 
He d- don't worry, Dave. Oh, right. He's never going to be. You guys right. keep trying to shoehorn him into things. He may like, be mostly a, just to piss you he's off. He's just. Though. He may oh, be a it. buddy, but li- listen. His Wait music. a minute. Fuck you. <laughs> I helped you move your TV, dude. He's never going to be Yara. Don't worry about it, man. What just happened? Oh, the song takes me. We killed music by talking about Jimmy Buffett. Um, (laughs) So the main theme of our internet show, Yacht Rock, is the struggle to remain relevant in the music industry. So as I was researching the final episode, trying to bring all the characters back, I thought, I wonder what Christopher Cross was up to in the mid-80s. Imagine my delight when I found this song. This song is called Charm the Snake, and it's actually about how hard it is to stay relevant in popular culture, while at the same time being in and of itself a misguided attempt at making relevant music. This is the first time we can ever like say a, a genre was defined for us by a song. This does for music what the regular Fonz did to television when he jumped the shark. Mm. Hey. Uh, uh, and fun fact, this, this song was number 68 on the charts. Christopher Cross's final hit, the final nail in Christopher's Cross. Oh, this is very close to a try and rap. Yes. It's, it's very, good. very close to a it's, try and rap. It's very hip, the way he cheated. If he would have said my name is... <laughs> my name's Christopher Cross. I'm here to say I'm charming the snake in a major way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, trying raps are snake charmers. Almost all of them are. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Well, let me get into what snake charming means. Uh, it's a perfect charm. The snake is a perfect term. Tastes in music are slippery and unpredictable. Before the internet crushed everything, an artist had to take. They had to snake charm in order to continue to sell albums. Some were masters. The Bee Gees transitioned easily from folk to red hot disco. Bruce Springsteen could release albums that change with the times and even build on his success. Uh, Integrity-fueled artists like Bob Dylan, though not super successful in the 80s, could adjust their music to the, to the time without embarrassing themselves. Yeah, Neil Young comes to mind, too, when, I, when you say that. Exactly. Um, uh, Neil uh, Young was always... Paul Simon. Kinda, Paul Simon yeah, did yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Neil Young he, was he always success. tongue-in-cheek. Like yeah. he, you could almost not take him seriously. But it worked for him. He didn't, he didn't look foolish. Uh, David Bowie, for example. David Bowie, when he shifted his style, he was actually training snakes and sending them out into the world. He was pushing culture forward. Snake trainer. But examples like these, like successful examples of, of snake charming, they're unremarkable. There's no spectacle, no train wreck of a failure you can't take your eyes off of. The appeal of a snake charmer is that you might see them get bit by the snake and die. <laughs> Just and th- like their careers. Exactly. That's what we're focusing on today. Artists who change their sound and failed in one aspect or another. Have you guys seen the music video for this song? I have not. It's uh, Christopher Cross uh, in like a little Formula One race hammock? car driving around. <laughs> and I found an article from 1986. Apparently, Christopher Cross, when this came out, not only was he reinventing his music, he was reinventing his image trying to become a Formula One race car driver. Yeah. Wow. Wow. A it lot was of people at do the time. That. Yeah. Like Andrew my- Ridgely? Yeah. Paul Newman? Emerson, Christ- Emerson Christ- Fittipaldi? Christ- Rick Mears? <laughs> Al Unser Jr. Um, uh, it's like Michael Dukakis trying to drive a tank. 
Snake charmers do try to change their image. That's a part of it. But let me be clear about what is not a snake charmer. A snake charmer isn't an artist who had a less successful career going and then found their sound and sold millions of records. Like Katy Perry going from an obscure Christian singer to a pop diva. That's not a snake charm. Goo Goo Dolls going from a little indie punk or whatever they were to a smooth adult contemporary millionaires. That's not a snake charmer. A true snake charmer is a legend of former huge success who could no longer keep up with the snake that is American musical tastes and turn to misguided musical choices in a desperate attempt to charm said metaphorical snake. Hear that, Christopher Cross? JD just called you a legend. <laughs> he was. He won Grammys. He's yeah. had multiple. Oh he was, he was a huge yeah. success. A legend. A legend. And his songs are still beyond reproach. Uh, a legend. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. A success yes. or a legend. He was a huge success. I, I, that song will live on long after we're all dead. Yeah, thanks to us. Which one? Charm the Snake? No. Charm the Snake Sailing, uh, Ride Like the Wind, um, uh, Arthur's, like the Arthur's wind. Theme. We all know Christopher Cross's songs. Thank you. One thing to watch for in this genre is the artist to call back for, into their original style in the context of a, the new uncomfortable style of trying out. It, it doesn't happen all the time, but sometimes you sometimes hear it in like the bridge or something. Uh, it happens enough to remark on it. And also, a lot of these songs are put together in what I like to call a relevant salad. Uh, relevance salad. That, that means like they had no idea why a hot, the hot new sounds were cool, so they just threw as many of them into the bowl as they could and hoped it would all work out. Yeah, cut some cucumbers. And ambrosia, if you will. Mm-hmm. Ten. Some hot bass. Is that yeah, some I thought that was, I thought that was the, the song. <laughs> I uh, wish. I thought the song was coming in. I was like, ooh, this is kind of funky. But then it's the bumper. Not no. at all. Uh, so he... It's one of the great voices in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and even 90s. She's a pioneering woman of rap, known for her socially conscious feminist hippie-hop style. For some stupid reason, they both decided to become fucking crooners. This is Rod Stewart and Queen Latifah with As Time Goes By. Fuck you both! <laughs> so... Was, was crooning hugely popular at this time? Is that what? It was a popular thing to reinvent yourself as a crew. Like, like an aging vocalist yeah. would prove that they could take on like the classics of yore. Yeah. Like they, they had a good enough voice still, and they had the sophistication and the taste to go back through the great American songbook yeah, and, so and pull it off. It sounds like you're relaxing the snake. Like you're trying to be classy and act your age. You're trying to charm a very old aging snake. It's sort of like a Viagra thing. Oh, I hate it when old people decide to charm the snake and sing oldie time classic music. I hate it. It's such a cliche. The desperation is so obvious, completely dropping everything that made them great to sell albums to their aging old ass audience. It's pathetic. And the worst is crooning. <laughs> crooning was created by genuinely cool people who are genuinely comfortable in their skin. For it to be co-opted by people pretending to be cool and comfortable is terrible. They're putting on an act. It's so false, I hate it. And it's cheap. They take an already successful song and they just do it again. It's a lame reboot that offers absolutely nothing new. Yeah, it's like a museum piece. It's like, oh, look, everybody knows this song. I'm going to prove I can do the song rather than bring anything 
nothing new to it. And here's what drives me. Oh, this drives me nuts. For Ron Stewart, it totally worked. Yeah, it did okay. work. It was huge. Oh, success. You mean the him. success? Yeah, the success was in 1970. Most of his albums, since 1970, most of his albums cracked the top ten. Then after his hit album Vagabond Heart in '91, he released three absolute turds in a row, and then he decided to fucking croon. The Great American Songbook. This album reached number four. Or this this song's not on that one. It's not on volume two, which reached number two album in the country. This is from volume three of Rod Stewart crooning. It became the number one album in America for some point in 2004. Ah! Three? Oh yeah. yeah. He's done five. Okay. And don't don't forget also Frank Sinatra towards the end of his career was doing all these gimmick duet albums with with like like oh you wouldn't expect this person to be paired with Frank like, Sinatra. Like Bono. Yeah. Uh, to be fair to Rod Stewart, he has an incredible voice. It's very soulful. And for a long time, it took a backseat to his haircut. But at this time, it was his voice that was getting out. I think this crooning played to his strengths at the time because his hair, his hair game just wasn't up. Oh, what's this no. fun? He had thyroid cancer. Yeah, and that was another thing I was oh, going to say. Fact. Is so so right before this, Rod Rod had surgery for thyroid cancer, and his voice became an octave lower than it normally oh. was. So I believe I'm going to justify his. Crooning in that it was a way for him to continue singing without the rigors of rock oh. and roll post-cancer. He had to retrain his voice to sing again, and I think that's what crooning came out of that. Sorry, Rod. But there's no excuse for Queen Latifah. <laughs> <laughs> She's abandoning rap, the one thing she was ever really good at. This song coincided with the release of her, uh, the Dana Owens album. She's on the cover with a 40s microphone like a douchebag. She's just crooning and doing covers. Your name is Queen Latifah! You rap! And this is this is what I really hate. These old people do irrelevant music styles. Motown took my sweet Michael McDonald for me, mm-hmm. and now I don't bother seeing him in concert because I know I have to endure a cover of I Heard, heard It Through, it through the, the Grapevine grape and yeah. three other Motown turds instead of four deep cuts from the Doobie Brothers or his 80s solo stuff. So fuck you, Motown. Fuck you, crooners. Keep your music in your own damn decades. You might even have to hear Paul Reiser on piano for a cover of Lonely Teardrops <laughs> by Jackie Wilson. <laughs> yeah, don't stomp on my dick and yell out Mazel Tov. Nine. That was pretty sweet. The future. Yay. A place where wizards program drum machines, <laughs> dragons are made of robots, and the wood has been plowed over for a stadium where Tron sports are played. This is Jethro Tull. Say it right. Say it right. With paparazzi. Yes. <laughs> say paparazzi. Paparazzi. This is Jethro fucking Tull. Tall mastermind Ian Anderson worked very hard to make the flute cool, and boy, did he ever! In the 70s, well, he did. If you were if you were to rate, you know, successes, the flute was cool in the 70s. That, because he, that's that's how people rate success. He, well, that, that and like Peter and the Wolf, right? Wasn't that yeah. he, he, with his with his hard wickening flute rock sound. Yeah, hard wickening. Yeah, he somehow forged a chain of top ten albums of weird pop prog rock songs like Aqualung. And let me repeat that, Flute Guy who released Prog albums was a huge success. 60 million albums sold. My guess, because he had an original voice. Uh, Many, many people consider this to be an Ian Anderson solo project. 
But despite that, he shared credit, songwriting credit with his other bandmates on this album, which is weird. But he produced the album at his house. Well, this this followed a similar solo project by Ian Anderson, so he just continued that sort of dumb sound. Uh, so I think that, like he never really shared credit on his other albums. My theory is that he essentially made his own solo project, but gave the other band members credit. Yeah, because his probably his initial solo project it. didn't sell a lot of albums. Well, neither did this. So for some reason in '84, he he abandoned all of his oldie time aesthetic, medieval shit. Yeah, with an album. This album was called Under Wraps. It was the first Jethro Tull album to use a drum machine. It was also the first Jethro Tull album to not have a title that conjured something terrible or middle ages -y. And it also had a sweet new futuristic band logo for this album, which looks eerily similar to the Trump Pence logo. <laughs> that like it's I think it spells tall in, in like block form. Yeah, this album. I mean, this everything about this album is clearly Jethro Tull's attempt to be super cool again. This, but the snake bit him hard. This album bombed like no album theirs had ever bombed before. No way, the paparazzi are after him. <laughs> the not, only not I don't in real think... life. It's because he's not. It's not his original voice. This is Blaz. It sounds like everything in the '80s that was happening. Do you think Ian Anderson ever, ever had a problem with paparazzi? No. Well, like JD said, he's no. Trying but to he be did have a problem with cool paparazzi. Again. Yeah, paparazzi might be different. Like, hey, hey, other photographer, is that Marty Feldman? <laughs> No, no, he's got a that's, flute. That's Ian Anderson. Yeah. This, this does have one thing in common with Jethro Tull's earlier work, in that it's boring as shit. <laughs> to answer and, your question, yes, he did have a, have a problem with paparazzi, and that was pronouncing it. <laughs> so, uh, Jethro Tull went back to Prague and oldie time titles on their next album, Crest of a Knave. Crest of a Knave. And started to move some discs again. And that album notoriously beat Metallica, Jane's Addiction, and ACDC for the first ever Best Hard Rock Slash Metal Performance Vocal or Instrumental Grammy in 1989. He was still able to walk out of the theater unaccosted by photographers. <laughs> And they also did later did a jtel.com album in 1999. <laughs> <laughs> they charmed it twice. Eight. Oh, this is a, this is a good one. Jaws 5. The desperate grasp at relevance. <laughs> this time, stay off the yacht. <laughs> the giant shark is biting the yacht in half, crushing it and sinking it for good. Four years removed from 1982, when this band both released their landmark four album and were major creative co contributors to the most relevant album of all time, Thriller. Oh. This is Toto. Slopping a goopy helping of relevant salad on your plate with the song Fahrenheit off the album of the same name. God, Hunter's listen. doing a real cool uh, robot breakdance over there. <laughs> yeah, this this song came on my, hit my radar because I, uh, I was doing research for the trying okay, raps. Listen, listen, listen. Oh wait, hold on. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah. And that's why, yeah. because of that line, feel the heat in the street. Everybody walk the dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> but this, honestly, we could devote. A snake charming 
just to a, a show just to yacht rock. Oh, yeah. They went off the rails. <laughs> Everybody, yeah. every yacht This rock sounds like they want people to break dance to it. It that's sounds like I, it should I, be that's in what a, I was doing. Yeah. It sounds like they were two years too late for Beverly Hills Cop soundtrack and not good enough at this sound to be in cahoots with Danny Elfman. <laughs> I the, like this song. I think it's, it's really good. It's just not Toto, and it's like, yeah. That's that's the thing. I, I never said it was bad, and it's not cool. It's great. It's not cool. Times are changing for Toto. To be fair to Toto, the lead singer from the Glory Days, Bobby Kimball, had been busted for drugs and fired from the band. So this is their second album with their second singer since Kimball. This singer is Joseph Williams, son of Star Wars composer John Williams, who wrote the Jaws theme referenced in the beginning of the song. So this is either the Pacaros taunting John Williams like, we have your son now, he's a Pacaro, he's with us, or Joseph Williams was like, fuck you dad, I'm in a cool band now. But this song is—it <laughs> so, sounds so, like four songs I, mashed together. The chorus is really good, though. Yeah, no, the chorus, yeah, the chorus really, sounds a lot very, more like Toto, like yeah. a yacht rocky. But it's—it's it's relevant salad. Like this song is like a weird mix of DeBarge and Gary Newman and cool anonymous guitar rock. There's spastic horns belching every now and then. And like you said, it's four songs yeah. jammed together. The verse sounds totally different than the pre-chorus. The pre-chorus sounds totally different than the chorus. Uh, and the chor- But the chorus features orchestra hits. Like they're from a Casio keyboard, a keyboard at home. It's like a Frank... It's a Franken song. This was the same album that had uh, I'll Be Over You. Yeah. Oh, that was a good one. Yeah. yeah. That was mm-hmm. legit good. Yeah. Kind of when, and when he, this song is legit good. I'm convinced we, we spoke about Blaz a little earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been watching a lot of Miami Vice lately. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, I'm, I'm considering doing a spinoff is that Sugar podcast. Walls? Or, uh, or, uh, or maybe just turn it into a genre. But either way, I would be totally surprised if they didn't write this song for Miami Vice. Or it, and I'm later sorry. and like if it and doesn't show up or it was Miami rejected. Vice said no thank you. <laughs> but they're feeling oh. the heat in the street. It sounded like they were totally ripping off the hook from Sugar Walls in that keyboard bit just now. Here's the great guitar solo by uh, by Steve Lukather. Uh, but then Picaro synths sort of have to pop in to remind him uh, of their misguided attempt at relevance. Listen, this song is fun. The, the, it's great, but it's not Toto. It's not Yacht Rock anymore. They're trying to chase something that they did not catch. Guarantee you they're wearing Crockett and Tubbs <laughs> suits while they did this song. I guarantee it, too. Seven. I really like these bumpers. Yeah, charming, charming the bumpers. Oh, so what, is this Buckner and Garcia? <laughs> listen, listen. Oh no, this is Eddie Murphy. This is Boogie in the Butt. Right? Wait, wait, listen, listen to this first measure again. Listen, to this. the fact that this song's first measure is exactly the same beat as Michael Jackson's Billie Jean is all the proof you need that this song's a snake charmer. Uh, this is the Four Tops and the Temptations teaming up to prove that these 50-year-olds were still cool in 1983. It starts with a, this Jive Talk salad cacophony worthy of an airplane movie. <laughs> Remember the Jive Talking guys? Yeah. And, uh, my mom had raised no dummy. Yeah. Beaver Cleaver's mom had to translate. Yeah, Yeah. this is the stereotype of so many movies in the 80s. It's nice to hear it on a... Temptations and Four Tops album mm-hmm. instead of just frat boys uh, repeating it back and forth. Say blood! <laughs> um, Chumba don't want no help. <laughs> this song is called Hang and it seems to be about if you hang around long enough you'll become relevant again. 
The Four Tops never stop releasing albums. They just stop being cool. But they're hanging, baby. No. That's what people do in the 80s. They hang. I think, hang. They, I think their career was hanging at this point. Well, in 1970... Like in the death sense, you know, like hanging. Wait, did he just say how long does it hang? Yeah. So they're talking about... So that, that was a dick rip? Well, they've been, they've been hanging for, for about uh, 10 years at this point because in 1972, the Four Tops... They were famous for the huge Motown hits, I Can't Help Myself, Baby I Need Your Lovin', Reach Out and I'll Be There, and Bernadette, one of my personal favorites. They left Motown, which didn't help their careers at all. Usually doesn't. Nope. So after their Motown 20, after the Motown 25 concert, where Michael Jackson made Motown seem cool again, Barry Gordy was able to re-sign the tops, and they recorded this album, Back Where We Belong, inferring Motown. Yeah. And also, they added the, the like, Eddie Murphy, Boogie in Your Butt comedy opening mm-hmm. to this, so they were trying to, like, jump on that bang- bandwagon. Well, this was originally released, released as a B-side to the single I Just Can't Walk Away, which was supposed to be their big... Motown returned to form, but it, it just oh, didn't fucking work, and it was more reminiscent of where Motown was heading at the time. Here's what I was talking about, where the bridge kind of calls back to the old style. This is rather nice. It's just kind of like Four Tops classic stuff with a with a relevant beat behind it, and maybe that's what the other spaceship noises yeah, too. Exactly. That, that's that not be, so bad. That might be part of Snake Charming because Toto just did that the, too. The, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. I said that at the beginning of the show. It's always the callback. A lot of times. There's a bridge that calls back to the old style. Man, I should have listened. I know. Um, Improv. So, I heard you, they got to learn to listen to your compatriots. So re- and explain everything. Yeah. Um, re-signing with Motown didn't help their careers either. Uh, they would have a hit a few years later with Loco and Acapulco once they were off Motown. Uh, but it was it was kind of a tropical callback to their old school style. So of course it was a hit. I mean that's why people like the Four Tops, not this relevant relevant salad pseudo funk garbage that we're listening to right now. I think this kind of has a Prince and the Minneapolis sound. Uh, who who by Prince at this time I think he was distancing himself and creating other bands to do that sound that he could write. Yeah, I mean, you, you you call Prince the anti-snake charmer, but I, th- I think Prince was like David Bowie. He was a guy who char- who, who trained the snakes and yeah. sent them out into the world. And the world whatever you say about him. this song, that bass line is funky as old shit, man. That is great. Doesn't it have a... With the... Isn't that like a Minneapolis song? Pretty sweet song, huh, guys? That's one of four tops. Still, still kicking. It's got, it's got some good elements. Hey, blood. Six. Oh, I'm, I'm really excited oh. about this one. Oh, it, yeah, because this is like some kind of awesome '80s new wave band that we've never heard of. I mean, it's pretty cool. It's like some sort of like a Devo disciple, perhaps. Yeah, I clearly yeah. like the guitar riff from Whip Whippet. It. Uh, look at these guys. They're all wearing leather. Some kind of new wave, new wave motorcycle dudes. Awesome. I like this song. Yeah. Listen to this. I did too. This is robot. I knew, I knew this one. Listen. Oh, I like it. Wait a second. Yeah, there was that guy's voice sounds familiar. Wait a second. This is the Village People. What? This was this was my first favorite band. <laughs> I, I don't blame you. And, and, and you were known around your high school for yeah. liking the Village People, yeah, especially I, given your sense of humor. I had a shirt that said "I heart the Village People." Um. So I, first, I want to thank Tweeter Tom Garrett at the Axis of Ego for bringing this album to my attention. It's a great snake charm. Um, yeah, this album is. I listen to this whole album. Uh, it's it's fucking great. It's something. It's something. <laughs> something. 
Um, so, you know, and because the village people, this song is called this song is called Action Man, by the way. And as if the village people, they always invite you to find the homosexual subtext in every song. I think I think this subtext. <laughs> it is subtext. It's text. No, it's subtext. It's very it's very it's very shadowly buried subtext. But Wait, it is sub. guys, this song is about partying. Well, this what? Song, this is the maybe party, greatest. Uh, this, this is the, might be the greatest song about partying because they say the word party a lot, and that's yeah. how you base you good see? songs about. Party. Yeah, that's what Andrew WK did. Yeah, it worked yeah. for him. How many times can you say the word party? You see, Dave, that is called text, okay? Yeah. It's about this song is about a robot who will have gay sex with you. Right. Oh, that's the action. Yeah. Man. Yeah, that's that was the subtext. Just like YMCA is not about a fun place to stay and swim, it's about a fun place to go and have sex with other men. But they don't say that. They don't go, young man, do you want to have sex with other men? I see, I get it. You see? Well, you look at the song Liberation. They say, when will you learn, my friend, your butt is mine, liberation, liberation. Yeah, I guess that it's is subtext. subtext. Yeah. <laughs> They're sneaking it in there. Yeah. San Francisco, you got me. I should be a literature professor you know, for idiots like Dave. Yeah. Remember, man? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I, uh, I, I looked up this album because it was amazing. I listened to the whole thing, and then I wanted to read reviews. And, man, disco enthusiasts were pissed off yeah. by this album. Most of them... Most of them didn't even refuse to even acknowledge that this album existed, and I don't know. I, I thought it was pretty good. You know, let me let me back up a bit. It's uh -huh. not that I don't understand subtext. I just really, really wanted to be wanted it to be the, the, the intention. Yeah. I understand. I understand. I'm sorry I called you an idiot. No, it's fine. I get it all the time. I got more to say about this song. Uh, <laughs> so the album that you're referring to, which you haven't named yet, is called Renaissance, and it's from 1981. Um, the, the village people were smarter than others to know that the disco era was dead, but they didn't change their songwriting style that much. Like the music and the just the music and the beat that backed them up. Like at its bones, this song really sounds no different than YMCA or In the Navy. It's just all blazed up. Well, well, it's it's definitely ripping off Devo. Yeah, yeah. Extremely. Well, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what I think happened. Their lead singer Victor Willis left. And was replaced. Who was the sailor? That's a good song. He was replaced by Ray Simpson, who was the cop. Ray Simpson was uh, the only straight guy in the Village People, and either the brother or the cousin of one of the the Simpson from Ashford and Simpson. Uh, they did this album, and then before it, they did Can't Stop the Music, which was their movie starring Steve Gutenberg playing Jacques Morali, the guy who put them all together. What was the movie called? And Bruce Jenner. It was called Can't Stop the Music. I got an idea, guys. We should act it out? No, we should make a movie about this album and call it Ken Stop the Music. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and I just want to point out, I can name all the village people by name. Good for you. They had a new look for this one. They they, they abandoned those those they did. stereotypical manly job looks, mm -hmm. and they just were all wearing leather and different kind of face paint. Yeah, they look like sexy mimes. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, like Kiss. No, 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 not ugly mimes. Okay, <laughs> let me tell you something. And this album, the last three songs diverge into at pure Weird Al territory. Like one song is called Big Mac. It's about eating Big Macs. Then there's a song called... Are you called, sure? <laughs> no. It, no, I am. A, I listen to it. Really no. <laughs> these, these, these songs have no subtext. There's a song called Diet, which is actually kind of metal. It's kind of inspiring. Heavy uh, metal. Uh, well, it's light, genre. it's light metal. You, you know, it's very in-law country, too, because yeah. of Bobby Bear had a lot of those songs. And then the last song is called Food Fight, which sounds like Weird Al wrote a shitty song for the Ramones. You know who was a major contributor to this album? Part-time Toto member Dennis Fergie Fredrickson. 
He wrote and sang backup on several of the songs. Yeah, that's a fun fact. Guys, uh, also fun. Yeah. Ken, stop the music. I know, Let's we're gonna make do it. This we're gonna do it. Uh, on their next and final album, they went back to their old manly archetype looks. Uh, but then they were all killed in separate accidents relating to the profession each of them portrayed. Ah, went dark. Oh, I smell a movie. Can't stop the music. <laughs> no, no. We kill. No, like went we, dark. Like the Indian gets like. Felipe Rose. The Indian gets gets shot with an arrow and like a. Like a one of those big construction things falls on the David construction Hodo. worker. Yeah. The cowboy falls off they're, the horse. They're yeah. Randy killed Jones. by angry disco fans for making this album. Well, we talked about the village people a long time. Oh, it's such a good song. I could go on. <laughs> this is 41. Yeah. Oh, this one's mine. I got this one, guys. Alright, I know what you're all thinking. This song would be a perfect fit for one of those USA for Africa benefit USA for Africa benefits. This is Hungry Eyes by Eric Carmen. Well, you know what? You're right. It would be perfect. This song could have raised a lot of money for starving people instead of making the dirty da- dancing soundtrack so damn profitable. I wasn't thinking that. I was, speaking, it, I was thinking it was pretty sultry. And speaking of the starving, welcome to the culturally starved state of Ohio. Ah, I'm kidding. Hunter's the only one that thinks that. I don't believe that. Here's I don't. a fun fact about me. You can't say that. I was born in Ohio. Left when oh, I was eight. That is a fun fact, Dave. Yeah. I actually think that Ohio is the workhorse <laughs> of the Midwest. It just you has... pronounced armpit wrong. <laughs> well, here's the I thing. Indiana was the armpit. No, that's the asshole. No, you're uh, you're right. You're right. I stand it, corrected. Ohio is just has these weird, spread, dumb, spread out cities. It doesn't like like Ohio is more important to the Midwest than. Then say Illinois as a whole, but Illinois has Chicago, Michigan has Detroit, Minnesota has Minneapolis. Like, what? Like Iowa has Des Moines. <laughs> like Cleveland should be their epicenter where all their culture is, but they like they like they spread it out over Cincinnati. And they're Columbus. like now it's like Columbus is our center. And yeah, and Cincinnati used to be. And blah, blah, blah. anyways, it's Sandusky a, has all the good roller coasters. It's and, just really uh, spread the out. The name of a cool football coach. Sorry. Singer Eric Carmen is from Ohio, and prior to his solo career breakout all by myself, he was in the Cleveland-based band The Raspberries. Yes, power pop pr- pioneers. Good raspberry. Thank you. Uh, non-capital city Cleveland is called the home of rock and roll because Alan Freed coining the term rock and roll on his Moondog radio show back in 1950 shit. It also hosted the first true rock concert, the Moondog Coronation Ball. A lot of people think that's why the Hall of Fame is there. It's not. It's actually because the city paid the most money, and by city I mean the taxpayers of Cleveland paid the most money, put together the best package, which I believe was about $65 million. Well, now that their lake isn't on fire, they have money to spare. Cool, now Clevelanders can make minimum wage running the joint. There's actually pretty good stable musicians from Ohio, including Guided by Voices, mm. Devo, yeah. Chrissy Hind, The Cramps, JD's favorite, uh, what did you use them in? I don't know, the, I love uh, them. I'm Bob Seeger Show. Polka legend Frankie Yankovic, yes. not to mention Dean Martin from Stowe, Ohio. 
Black Keys, and Pac-Man Fever composers Buckner and Garcia, hey. whom I almost selected for this instead of Eric Perman. And you have Nine Inch Nails and Marilyn Manson. And Perubu from the same scene as uh, Devo. Uh, randomly selected from Musicians from Ohio's Wikipedia page, jazz vibraphonist Johnny Lytle, P-Funk guitarist Catfish Collins, Ooh, brother of Bootsy, electronic artist Steve Hauschild, uh, a guitar player named Rob Fetters, uh, who was in some bands, and of course, Skeets Herfert, a jazz saxophonist and clarinetist. Don't forget the high-water mark of pornography, Hustler, Larry Flint, Cincinnati. Guys, I have a and, quick question. Uh, oh, sorry. The sorry, workhorse of the Midwest. Yeah, and the governor uh, that had the talk show, uh, just Jerry Springer, governor of Cincinnati. Quick question before governor we move of on. Cincinnati. Governor of Cincinnati. Governor. Prove me wrong. <laughs> governor. All right. Governor. All right, Steve has a question. Okay. Before we move on, this song, where does it rank on the Tim Capello scale of salt? Oh, geez, it's up there. Yeah. I mean, ten. Is it, is it the top? It's sultry as fuck. Yeah, I'd give it a nine point five. I give it rocket. eight and a half biceps. I'll give it a ten. I'm still trying to figure it out. You'll get there. Oh shit, plug hole. Oh, oh fuck. Um, t-shirts. Who wants one? Get your t-shirts. Get them while they're hot. It's the absolute last chance to get the size you want of the I'm Bob Seeger t-shirt. The time's ticking away. Mid-November. The Beyond Yacht Rock shirts will be available beyond Christmas. <laughs> but I like the lyrics. But if you want a custom size pre order, you're going to have to get those orders in by mid November. Uh, or else Ken Bones, <laughs> the Ken Bones of the world, will settle for men's medium. That's timely. Are you retiring? Uh, you know, November 15th is the opening day of hunting season. Uh huh. And you're going to retire the Bob Seeger shirts on the opening day of, of uh, hunting season. You better get them before then. How long does it take to print the shirts? Um, like a couple days. Oh. If we rush it, uh, we maybe, don't want to. Maybe we'll go till December, okay. like early December. Why? We, we want to get them to you by Christmas. Yeah, because they'd make great Christmas and Hanukkah, Hanukkah gifts. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, the Beyond Yacht Rock shirts. Uh, yeah, they're really good. good. We only have two men's XLs left in stock. So if you want your extra large Beyond Yacht Rock shirt, order it now. Order it today. Um, I also want to give special thanks to Chuck Tomlinson at Chuck Tomlinson and Twitter for sending today's bumpers. Oh, Chuck sent these. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, yeah. On the he, old Twitter, he did uh, your wedding. Yeah, he, he happened to be my wedding DJ, and he did a great job. Happened F to be. FYI, for all you Twin Cities betrothed. Uh, but he's so much more than a wedding DJ. He hosted a very popular radio show called Cosmic Slop. And he's now a contributor on a radio show called Crap From The Past. Yeah. Uh, find it at crapfromthepast.com or on the radio on KFAI Fresh Air Community Radio, 90.3 FM Minneapolis, 106.7 FM St. Paul. And it's hosted by who? Ron Boogeyman Gerber. Ron Boogeyman Gerber. The show is his 25-year labor of love, so check that out. Thank you, Ron. Anything else to plug, guys? Anything personal? Um, no. Good answer. Pet Project? Uh, uh, Nothing. Good uh, trick. All right. Uh, give give yourself a treat. Go rent an orbit. Check out, right. check out the sweet <laughs> check out the sweet locations. And keep your eyes peeled for Netflix, the new Netflix show Chasing Cameron about social media influencer Cameron Dallas and all his pals, which I worked on at my day job. All right. It's gonna be awful. I mean good. Awfully good. good. Awfully good. Five.
Yeah. All right. Ooh. Here's a group awkwardly transitioning into the 90s. Hey, you know what was a hot song? That You Got the Look song by Roxette three years uh, ago. You fucking nailed them. She's got the look. This is the Bee Gees charming the snake on their 1991 album High Civilization with the thesis song High Civilization. A lot of, I find I find in Snake Charmers a lot of times like the album, the thesis song or the album title song, the first song or the the song with the title of the album is the most Snake Charmy song on there. That's what we we talked about the thesis song on that Michael McDonald. Mm-hmm. That was totally a Snake Charmer. Yeah, yeah. Guys, this actually kind of sounds like Charm the Snake. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. Um, so this song. It tries to counter its unremarkableness with this weird prog rock time signature. Yes, yeah, so yeah the, you really hear it strongly in the chorus. Yeah, um, and I just want to say, Bee Gees, you're good at getting people to dance. I can't dance with this weird time signature. You've now forgotten about dancing for like 12 years, and you've paid the price in irrelevance. Yeah, it's like they, they record, they're the group that recorded the song, You Should Be Dancing. Oh, here, there it is, there it is. Ugh. Oh, that weird time signature. Hey, this uh, this sounds like a documentary to some. It was a theme song to like a shitty documentary about like an island off the coast of Ireland or something. (laughs) Yeah. It sounds like the record is skipping. The birds of of Skellig McDougal. Uh, Yeah. Like some Enya shit. What what are they trying to accomplish here? I tell you what they accomplished. (laughs) This went to to number two in Germany. Oh. Think about that. Yeah, the Bee Gees, Honor, they poop on each other. <laughs> the Bee Gees never became irrelevant in Germany. BG must mean poop on each other or something yeah. in German. Uh, let's see, other fun facts. I, was just, I assume uh, BG, maybe bowel gargle. <laughs> yeah, the, yep. I, I assume that one of the Bee Gees was near death on this album, because I don't really have a full memory of Maurice, but he didn't pass until... 2003. This album's 91. Yep. So they're way later. So, but perhaps they were still grieving over Andy, who died in 1988. And because either way, well, you just said the Enya thing. Mm -hmm. This this sounds like it has a very new agey feel. Like they were they they were searching for meaning in a lost world, or they were looking for religion or something. Mm -hmm. Like high civilization is there. What the hell was that song like? Get on down or whatever that. What was that like? It's a part of the trying to get you to dance. (laughs) (laughs) This sounds like a really disappointing ELO concept album type thing. Not one of those really uh, non-distant. Never mind. I'm not gonna shit on ELO. (laughs) The Bee Gees. The Bee Gees had charmed the snake before. They started in the '60s as sort of a a folk group. At the end, uh, they they managed to to turn themselves into the greatest disco band the world has ever known. But then they stopped trying to make people dance in the 80s they were more awkward as they just tried a shit ton of bogarted styles, none of them successful. People still like to dance. They don't like aging guys charming the snake. But they, I bet, I'll, they, 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 did, they did have one last hit in the 80s. It was an adult contemporary song called One from like 1989. Can you dance but, to it? No, you yeah. can't. But they were great at imitating styles. I mean, didn't Barry Gibb write all of the Grease soundtrack? Like doing that 1950s sort of sound and then... Uh, New Wop? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, 50s rock, early rock in general. 
But then uh, also they they dabbled in yacht rock. They wrote Islands in the Stream. And yeah, I mean, they, they wrote that good. whole Kenny, Al- uh, Kenny Rogers album. Kenny Rogers album. They were Eyes good at, the at going into other genres, yeah. and I don't know what they did here. Well, but, they, you know that their Living Eyes album that was pretty yacht rocky, and yeah. then and then. They, they had this album called ESP in 1987 where they had this terrible quote-unquote dance song called Back to Funk. Uh, <laughs> and then that album won. It was kind of divorce core. Oh, okay. It's actually pretty good. Um, did, that, did that live part kick in yet? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, we heard yeah. The, yeah, the crowd. Yeah, for Does some reason, the bridge to this song, I don't know if we're there yet, but it includes like canned applause that helps us imagine that anyone at all was into this incarnation of the Bee Gees. It's like a cheap laugh track. Like, I don't know if you guys have seen The Love Boat recently. I hadn't seen it since it aired. It's a one-hour drama with a, a laugh track, and it just, it's rough, much like this song. <laughs> I was trying to count along with this chorus earlier, and I just couldn't figure out the right numbers. Oh, real quick. When you go to, to my Spotify page and you find this playlist, go to your loved one who's into music and play every song and see how long it takes them to figure out who the artist is. It's so much fun. Oh, that's a fun game. Yeah, I played it with my wife, and she didn't get anything, and she's a huge BG fan. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, I know that. Next, she's a huge music fish. Yeah. Chop that fish. That's a great game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Play uh-huh. at home. Yeah. Snake Charmers and Chop That Fish. We got some good games. Yeah, you could play Chop That Snake. You could. That's really what it's called. The, the at home game is maybe yeah. Chop Don't That Snake. Don't tread on me. <laughs> it's a chopped up snake, right? Four. Yeah, it was. Four. It said four. Oh, look out! Here comes the 80s synth cavalry. This, believe it or not, is Crosby, Stills, and Nash. What? Taking a stab at George Orwave and Plot Rock with War Games. Thanks to our friend David Camp at Mr. Camp for bringing this song to my attention. I kind of like this song this until sounds, they started singing. This <laughs> sound, yeah, when they start singing, it sounds like a, like 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 yes, or some of those other '70s prog bands that started to go pop in the early '80s. Does anybody like Crosby, Stills, Nash, and also possibly Young? Yes. Do you like them? I love their, their 1970 album where they're outlaws on the cover. That's great. I'm assuming you do not like them. Uh, I could take them or leave them. I, it's, it's not something I seek out, but I don't I don't make fun of people for liking it the way I would like Jimmy Buffett. See, I like these guys, and I really like that they put in laser noises. <laughs> well, as, as I like the idea of seeing David Crosby dance while uh, this is playing. Yeah, but they, we'll get to that. Um, Crosby, Stills, and Nash were, as most of us know, were 60s favorites. They were SoCal hippies singing songs about teaching your children of a peaceful utopia where we all have two kids in the yard and everything's great. Well, by 1983, they had a different view of the world. Thought control, despot rulers, doubts about one's role in the national machine. How far the ideals of the 60s have fallen. This song, by the way, I don't know what we mentioned, it's called War Games, written for the movie War Games. Did not appear in the movie or on the soundtrack. Wow. It was written for that. Yes. Not even on the soundtrack. But it was a brilliant move by the producers to have Crosby, Stills, and Nash write that song because how apocalyptic is it (laughs) that these hippies (laughs) have grabbed this Hollywood cash to make this blaz garbage song? Which I enjoy, but it's not a great song. And it's almost metal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the opening could possibly be there, but this main character in this is too paranoid or confused to touch the sky or burn a heart. I just love the idea. Well, I love that it's two minutes and 21 seconds long. Oh, jeez. But <laughs> we played again. 
<laughs> I love the idea that, like, <laughs> hey, hey guys, it's David Crosby. I just got off the phone with Paramount and whoever the fuck's doing War Games. They want us to write the title song. And they yeah. go through all this and do a lot of coke and they write this song. He's like, my new liver's great. I can get through this. And then they present it and the producers and director are just like, no thanks. Yeah. It didn't make the album, but MTV did produce a video for it that yeah. had clips of the movie. The movie yeah. Unfortunately, we never got to see David Crosby like dancing around with a guitar. Oh, yeah. Oh. Would have been so great. Like, all oiled up. Yeah. With a fan hitting him in his hair. Like, oh, God. His the, mustache. Yeah, the, 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 the bald top mullet is such a good look. You may have seen Jeff Picaro on this because he played the drums on this. But, that's uh, why it's so tight. Probably programmed it. But uh, I just want to say that the uh, Stephen Stills would have been the one he was credited with keyboards, not David Crosby. Well, still, give me, give me David Crosby playing the guitar okay. on this, please. Give me that. Also, give me that. Also, I just, just so everybody knows, uh, according to the movie Prometheus, he, uh, Stephen Stills also played the accordion. Oh. Which is, I hate that part of that movie. Sorry. Is it literally Stephen Stills with an accordion? No, it's, it's, it's you, you have to watch the okay, movie. There's, okay. a, there's a moment where, uh, where the guy's like, that's Stephen Stills' accordion. And I went, wait, <laughs> he plays the accordion? <laughs> no, they just wanted to get into the next song number, which is Love the One You're With. It was just a terrible device. Sorry. War games. Three. <laughs> so this is from Neil Diamond's Headed to the Future album, Headed for the Future album that Dave Holmes brought up on our Diamond vs. Punk episode. And this is hands down my favorite song on the album. It's a snake charm on so many levels. This song is called Stand Up for Love. It's the standout snake charm on an album full of snake charms. Oh, yeah. So first, the album cover and the video for Header for the Future are incredible. He's all awesome leather jacket, Neil Diamond. And the, the concept for the, that we're headed to the future just means that he thinks that he has the key to continued relevance. And that key seems to be his awesome leather jacket, which might as well have been snakeskin. Uh, but nothing on this album says leather jacket except for the fact that Neil is wearing one. And, and it should be noted that it's a gray leather jacket. Is it? Yes. It, it's not. He has and I know you, you might look at it and go is that maybe that's black but he has clearly a black turtleneck underneath it and, yeah. it, and another gray background behind it. But he's also like I was comparing it to his hair and it's a little lighter than his hair and I guess you're right because his hair was graying at the time. He's the point is, you can't just wear black or a brown. That's oldie time leather yeah. jackets. You gotta wear an off color. I'm going, I'm going dark gray. So, not only is Neil charming the snake here and trying to be super cool, but on this song, some of our favorite yacht rock guys, Steve Lukather, Greg Fillingaines, Maurice White from Earth, Wind, and Fire, they're all on the wrong side of relevance in 1986. These are the ones that Neil brought on to teach him how to be cool. And that would be like if Carrot had hired us to teach him how to make web videos. <laughs> yeah, Carrot had to, he doesn't need any help. No, no, he's doing just fine. <laughs> is there a Yacht Rock? There's not a Yacht Rock song on this album. No, there isn't. We, we all tried so hard to find a Neil Diamond Yacht Rock song. Well, there's some close ones. I didn't look on this um, album. I, this, this one has all the Yacht Rock personnel. This yeah. has the most Yacht yeah. Rock personnel. Uh, the, the one that I think uh, the closest was uh, Yesterday's songs 
You know that one saying, I love you now, baby? Mm. That one, I think, is the closest Neil Diamond ever came to Yacht Rock. But his voice... I still think it's mm-hmm. hard voice. ...just yeah. doesn't lend itself to Yacht Rock. No, no. he's just, he's just not powerful. smooth. It it's turns too fucking into good. a Neil song. Yeah. It just always does. This is also 1986, so it's a little after. I'll tell you, he uh, came out with an album in 2005. I don't remember what it's called, but there's a song on it called Hell Yeah. It's really fucking good, and he kind of charmed oh, yeah. the snake again. It was, it was his, one of his Rick Rubin albums. Yeah, and it was kind of like Tough Guy Folk. It was pretty sweet. Hell see, yeah. I'm trying to think if I have anything else. Hell yeah, it is. Yeah, it was great. Oh, so this has another Snake Charmer bridge. Listen to it next time you listen to the song. It kind of calls back to his charismatic singer style. Uh, just one of those songs. It's got great lyrics, too. Uh, if we stand up for love, we can set the eagle free. Great lyrics. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. That's metal. So stand up for love, everybody. Don't want the eagle that is pretty imprisoned. metal. Yeah. Two. Yes. There it is. Yeah. This one, Hollow Notes, Portable Radio. When I first heard this song, I only knew Hollow Notes from their awesome 80s hits. Maybe a few of their soul classics from earlier in the 70s. So when I picked up this album, Ecstatic, from Amoeba... Dollar vinyl, good people. Yeah, that's right, baby. And I heard this song, I jumped out the window. I had to tell the world about this song. And by the time we knew Hollow Notes were going to be characters in Yacht Rock, I knew... I just might have the path to do that. And they have pretty equal time vocally on this song, which was another advantage for the web series. Yeah, oh, Oates' vocals are always great. When I heard this song on the list, I went, number two? That must mean Mariah Carey's number one. (laughs) (laughs) She's always flowed well with the time. She never had a bad snake charmer, if you ask me. She's always a lovely lady. But anyway, this, this, uh... David Foster produced this. Oh, yeah, that's what we didn't tell people. It was in Yacht Rock, but what we didn't tell people is that David Foster produced this and also uh, may have Steve Picaro and Jay Graydon on it. It absolutely has them on it, but... Um, we Jay, didn't really know that. Yeah, but Jay is credited as Jay Solo Graydon, ah. which, of course, is the incorrect nickname. Should be pooping. Well, I, I think this came out before he was pooping. This was two years prior to him writing on the toilet. Solo oh. was actually cl- a cleaned up version of One Turd. Oh, maybe maybe he pooped Dude, in the Solo cups. He was no, he was J One Turd. Oh, okay. <laughs> two J's, one cup. <laughs> so, Hollow Notes are notorious snake charmers. They successfully charmed the snake in the '80s with their new wave makeover, and they became the princes of MTV. They were, they were more successful then than they were in the 70s. Absolutely. Well, yeah. more. Yeah, um, once once people got a good look at Oates, they're like, "Yes, sir." Yeah, he was more the he was he was more the court juggler of MTV. Um, but before um, before the success of the 80s, they struggled to keep up with the rapidly changing late 70s, and this attempt at disco is awesomely awkward. But it's I, still really, really catchy. Yes, well, it's Hall and Oaks. They're yeah, it's Hall and Oaks. Even when, disco. They, even when they miscalculate their stylistic detours, they, they're still capable of writing a really good song. Yeah. See, I and this think is, there was, this is 79, right? 70s? 78? 78? Yeah. I think there was an end of the decade thing going on there that wasn't so prevalent in 89. And then came back in 99 because it was the millennium. But, like, uh, people were heading for the future. The Village people had a song called Ready for the 80s. And they were going to embrace it. And I think a lot of bands kind of started changing yeah. their sound around that time. Yeah, bro. It's going to last forever. Yeah, exactly. Well, Ready for the 80s. That, I wrote that line because of the Village people song. 
Um, Ecstatic, this album contains some non-Snake Charming tracks, like the classic Hall & Oates uh, song, Wait For Me, which is great. Yeah, that's a great one. There's other disco tracks that work better than this one, like the awesome Who Said The World Was Fair. That song is great. Um, but there's, then there's another disco snake charmer called Bebop Drop that Oates sings and misses the mark a little bit. Yeah, so. I just want a Bebop. Um, and then there's a weird song called Intravino about wanting to inject wine into your veins. See, that's just fucking stupid. Everybody knows butt chugging is the best way to get drunk on wine. Amen, brother. Um, it, oh, go ahead. Would you consider the H2L, H2O album to be a, another snake charmer? Uh, considering that they went by the super cool uh, Daryl Hall plus John Oates on that. <laughs> I mean, it probably was, but it was successful, you know? Yeah, and it was, you know what it was I preceded just... by success, and it was also successful. What? what I just figured out was the H2O album was Hall to Oates. Yeah. Yeah, I just figured that out a week ago. Yeah. Oh, awesome. It's double meaning. Yeah. I love it. One. I love this one. This yeah, is why I picked it for number one, because I love it. Uh, yeah. Mariah, what what were you thinking? This is the Beach Boys oh. Oh, God. keeping the summer alive. Jesus. It's literally called keeping the summer alive. The Beach Boys' career is summer. You get that? So for some reason, they feel like a great way to break back into relevance in 1980 was to bite Fog Hat. Listen to this. This American beef sound. Yeah, it's 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 it would be Camaro summer if it didn't have all that shitty doo-wop in it. <laughs> New up. New up. This is actually written by Carl Wilson and Randy Bachman of Bachman Turner Overdrive fame. Hence the song's American beef classic rock clunk rock sound. Uh, and again, <laughs> Beach Boys Randy Bachman is not going to help make you relevant in 1980. No, I think he I think Randy Bachman needs to keep trying cuz he's going to get it right. Oh, didn't they do Not Fragile? That was great. Anyways, that's, that's I'm telling you, that's great. But I got a question. Mm-hmm. Would Joe Walsh help you be relevant? Because he made his only appearance on this album on this song's guitar solo. Well, that explains why it, it's so boring. It certainly <laughs> fucking does. It's it, If it's not the most boring guitar solo I've ever heard in my life, it's in the top five. It's awful. Is this it? Is this it? No, uh, but here's, a bit. here's the bridge where they go back to their old style. No, this is not... You won't even notice the guitar solo. It's so boring. Joe Walsh is that guy who's not dead yet. No, R.I.P. R.I.P. Joe Walsh. Uh, The Beach Boys... Somebody told them this song would be awesome. They're so gullible. From Brian Wilson believing that a psychiatrist... uh, That it would be a good idea to rap. To Dennis Wilson thinking that Charles Manson would be a cool dude to hang out with. Yeah, hey, come stay at my house. Uh, Wait, I'm gonna move and you're gonna murder everybody that bought my house. The Beach Boys believe anything anybody tells. Yeah, they even thought Mike Love had good enough taste and material to let him handle the group's direction after Brian kind of dropped out. Trump supporter Mike Love. So gullible. There's a proof yeah. right there. There's a Mike Mike Love drop. He's a Trump supporter. He's gullible. He kind of seems like a natural for being a Trump supporter. I, they, think, listen to this. They, they're trying to bite Peter Frampton with some bow wows through a talk box four years after is, Frampton comes alive. This is another one where there's just too much going on. Yeah, it's relevant not salad. As, it's not as rattling as uh, Smart Girls by Brian Wilson. Not Few as jarring. things are. But it's there's just way too much. I, I don't know if Brian Wilson is on this song, 
because I believe his appearances in the Beach Boys was very sporadic. They pretty much just wanted him his he's, name on the album. He's on this album. He's got songs on this album. He may not be on this one. But it sounds like him singing. But he has a ton of snake charmers. Yeah. In the in the late 80s once he finally got rid of his uh How many snake charmers do you have to have before you're not charming the snake anymore? That's just your new terrible style. Hey, if you're if you're a legend, if you're a success in the past, you could constantly charm the snake and yeah, just like embarrass Chris, yourself over like and over Christopher again. Cross, a legend. Yeah, it's just a long <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Just one long snake hunt. <laughs> uh, going on a snake hunt. <laughs> Um, I like I like I like this song. I can listen to it a lot. It's a fun song about the summer, but it's just not. It's a weird choice for the Beach Boys, and it just missed the mark. They they successfully charmed the snake with Kokomo. That yeah. was a really good song, a timeless classic. If you ask me, was that a snake charm? Though? Oh, it absolutely it was. It was a ch- kind of a change of style. Well, yeah, was it was like it was it was back. Yeah, it was back to what they kind of a return to form, like when Buckner and yeah. Garcia did Wreck It Ralph. I just like it. Yeah, I felt like it didn't feel like a classic Beach Boys song. It felt like a modern song because John Stamos. Because John Stamos played. It drums. kind of fit the Beach Boys aesthetic, though. It was like about. Islands which have beaches. I see, it was the it was the triumph of the Mike Love aesthetic. Yeah. Well, sonically, it was different. <laughs> but sonically, I will say the most important thing about Kokomo is it's an awesome mnemonic device for the rookie travel agent. What is this? I saw you wrote that. What does that mean? Aruba, the, Jamaica. Ooh, well, I want to take it. it. So Bermuda, Bahama. If you're not, if you're a rookie travel agent that doesn't know a lot of tropical places to send your clients, you can think about the song Kokomo, and I it see. helps you okay. remember all the different fun places to go. Because just just don't you, send them to Kokomo. Yeah, it doesn't exist. It's in yeah, because, it's because it's in if Indiana. you if you like draw a line to those places. It makes about as much sense as uh, from Phoenix, Arizona, all the way to Tacoma, <laughs> Philadelphia, Philadelphia, Atlanta, Atlanta LA. LA. They must have the same tour manager. Oh, we yeah. got to do a genre of city names. <laughs> Mis- misdirections? No, just people oh. who name cities yeah. in their songs. That's one of my favorite tropes. I've said there that. There you go. Yeah. Uh, what did we miss, guys? All right, that's my episode 44. <laughs> what did we miss? I nominate something from Vanilla Ice's 1994 album, Mind Blowing. Probably the single Roll Him Up. I can't think he, of another one. He tried to refashion himself as this Cypress Hill-esque stoner rapper. Didn't work. Did anybody else think of any others? I uh, I wanted to do uh, Neil Diamond, hell yeah, but I brought it up earlier. So oh. it, it was also too good. Yeah, but I mean, it was a snake charm. Snake charmers can work. Yes, they can. Oh, we, just okay. didn't, we just didn't focus on those yeah. in this episode because they're boring. I had a lot of fun looking up these snake charmers, and, <laughs> I, and I put a ton of songs on your on, on like a temp list. But I rediscovered the Moody Blues song "Rock and Roll Over You," which is the best, most intense song uh, on any Karate Kid. <laughs> soundtrack it's the moody blues <laughs> and it's the second one it's a good song it's a great fucking song a lot of people say that was the best karate kid movie it was the second one yeah who says that i think you just the, did the guy who played chosen no i said it's the most intense song there... I'm, I'm pretty sure i've heard you say that okay it's great see there you go all right so thank you for tuning in for snake charmers join us next week just in time for halloween hunter spooks us with our first ever plot rock episode, we'll be covering the plot rock subgenre of horror movie raps. Horror raps. 
Find this week's Snake Charmer playlist by following J.D. Riznar on Spotify. Go to YachtRock.com to buy t-shirts, read the captain's blog, and see show notes by Tim Malcolm. Follow him on Twitter at Timothy Malcolm for fun facts. Send questions via Twitter at YachtRock. Follow J.D. at J.D. Riznar. Follow Hollywood Steve at Hollywood Steve H. Follow Dave at David underscore B underscore Lions. Follow Hunter at Hunter Stare. Like YachtRock on Facebook. Rate and review us on iTunes. Your reviews help us pick up heat. So please take the time today. To write us a review. Feel the heat in the street. Write us an <laughs> iTunes review. Thanks to Chuck Tomlinson for, sell- for sending the bumpers, additional bumpers by Rob Crow and Mark Rivers. Thanks to producer Dustin Marshall for snaking the drain after Dave charmed the toilet last week. Sorry, Dustin. Check out Feral Audio Podcast at feralaudio.com. Feral Audio.